You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? initial impressions and did they change at all uh, on the second viewing i think it got stronger on the second viewing to be honest uh i think there was a lot of things that i missed the first time so i think it came together more seeing it the second time i would say more in the finer details of like the story and the stuff sometimes i'm not quick to get everything right away and as i saw it the second time i think it got a lot stronger well especially because so much of it is conveyed without words. Um, there might be a lot of subtle things that are, are, are pretty easy to miss the first time, I guess. Right. How about you, uh, Danny? Had you seen it before? Yeah, I saw it a couple of years ago. And like all movies kind of like this, I kind of lose myself mentally. And I guess that's kind of why I get a lot of the details the first time around for this kind of style. But rewatched it yesterday. I didn't really have any different impressions. I, I guess I interpreted it differently this time. Well, it's a pretty easy film to lose yourself in, I guess. Um, how did how did you interpret it this time? I think the first time I I sort of just interpreted it as a representation of this idea I had a long time ago when I was a little kid of like how it would be if it, everything was reversed, like if humans were the pets. <laughs> yeah, um, and all sorts of other crazy stuff. But this time I kind of saw it more as an allegory for, um, I guess, American colonization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I mean, it could be anything. There's just so much detail that it could be interpreted as so many different things. Right. Uh, an allegory for any type of oppression is going to be able to correspond to any type of oppression. I think it's interesting that you thought that as a kid because, well, not to, uh, this is going to sound a little harsh, but kids are like pets a little bit. They're, you know, <laughs> I mean, you do have to keep them and feed them and, and you have to pull them away when they go towards something dangerous and they don't understand what's going on. So it makes sense that as a kid, you would think of it like that. Um, what did you guys think about the, the animation style? I, I imagine a few of us are going to disagree on this one a little bit. Well, for me, I mean, I thought that it was it was something new to me, and that's why it kind of struck me as interesting. And Danny, you really liked it, I think, I, I remember you saying. It, it reminds me of Terry Gilliam a bit. Yes, yes, when the big finger flicks the woman <laughs> down the hill, I turned to my wife and I said, this kind of feels like Monty Python, doesn't it? I mean, I know it's. I know that's not quite the same thing, but the yeah, the the cutout foot stepping on people. It really. It's felt the like same. That. It's the same animation style. It, the cutout. I don't know what that's called, but um. I think they just called cutout and stop motion too. I think right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. That surprised yeah. me. That surprised me a lot. I I I, mean, I thought it was it was obviously obviously a little choppy, but I thought that was a product of uh, probably the money they had to sink into it at the time. I I didn't think it was because it was stop motion. To me, it was kind of a first seeing that sort of animation. Mm-hmm. So. It worked for me. Yeah, it feels like a, sort of like ancient comic books. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, I think. It was made in the 70s, so it wouldn't be like Miyazaki or anything like that. Right, yeah. The only thing I was, try- I was, I was stuck on is whether or not that adds to the effect. I'm not sure if it does or not, because on one hand, you know that you have these fantastic images, um, 
um, <laughs> excuse the pun. And, um, you know, they're, they're all very, they're all very interesting, but it's a very visual film. And so it doesn't feel as, uh, superficial as usual, you know, to talk about how vivid they look. You know, normally that would be a pretty superficial concern, but it's supposed to have fantastic imagery. It's supposed to grip you in that way. And I actually, I kind of wonder if that's actually a very big part of it because I know it, I know it's based on a book. So it's meant to be its own, its own story, right? The story is supposed to be the thing. But I think it's really clear that, you know, making this movie, the imagery was what attracted them a lot, uh, because they like to linger on it, right? And they put a lot of fantastical elements in it that aren't really about the story, um, but they just kind of like to dwell on them. Well, yeah, everything but the, the ohms are unreal, I guess. It was kind of like a crude, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but a crude style that kind of made everything more, uh, not a, offensive to our eyes but more just intense i guess this might seem like a weird comparison but to me you know i kind of got a um a thought of that they kind of seemed like ants to me <laughs> ants? Uh, yeah from a from my perspective like when you saw the when they were trying to crush them with their feet i kind of made that kind of connection with it uh, and it kind of makes you think about certain things like that you know like looking as them as the ants and you know, the blue, I, I call them the blue man people. <laughs> That's as good a description. Yeah. They, they kind of they remind me of the blue man group. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the blue man group before the horrible blue man group genocide. You know, this is this is when there were far <laughs> more of them. Um, What's this, Chris? <laughs> um, so, no, you're right about the ants. And actually, there are more uh, insect parallels. It's not just, I mean, they, they talk about them as pets, which we tend to think of as like, what, mammals and birds and things. But right. it, there are more insect parallels when you really think about it. Um, the the method of extermination is gas. It's like a bug bomb. And specifically, nonchalant too. Yeah, right, right. I mean, let's be honest. While people can be cruel to animals, most people are not yeah. that indifferent to mammals. Uh, they, we are that indifferent to bugs. And not only that, but you, you guys know Swan on the forums. His avatar is one of the monsters in the film. And that monster in particular looks like an anteater. A tongue comes out, long tongue, goes into the, the hideaway, and just kind of sucks them up, right? Yeah, that was interesting. I never knew that that was Swan's avatar until I saw the film. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what it was either. I actually thought it was from Where the Wild Things Are, which actually that's what the animation style reminds me of most, frankly. I didn't think of that one. I was thinking more of the point. I don't know if anyone else has saw that, but I haven't seen. That. No, I haven't. Um, oh, what is damn. it? So sorry. I'm sure it's an excellent comparison that's totally lost on us. <laughs> it's okay. It's just another weird, really, really weird kids movie. Well, speaking of which, I guess this really, this really isn't a kids movie. Um, <laughs> it. True. I heard different reviewers uh, say that the the style reminded them of Hieronymus Bosch, and another uh, said Salvador Dali, and I think they're both right actually, which is pretty weird, uh, because you wouldn't normally put those two together. Um, kind of surreal and sort of uh, uh, perdicious, if that's even a word. Yeah, it might be the atmosphere that reminded them of Bosch, not necessarily the style. Yeah, the atmospheres, but well, I will say that the human cutouts uh, probably looked more like Bosch, and the environments sure. they were in were more like Dolly, if that makes sure. sense, you know. Um, and yeah, the, the faces, oh my god, the faces were horrific. You know, I did any of them smile even once, or were they all just? I mean, at best, you got a neutral expression, and most of the time I it was not just. I see one smile. I I remember uh, when the the what's her name the lo- the young trog was applying makeup, and then the, the little dude moved the black makeup. Yeah, that that's right. Smiled then. Creepy smile, kind of. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, was kind of creepy. I, you know, you're right though. That's a good catch. That um. 
So I, I don't know if you guys had different copies than I did. There's apparently there's a little dispute as to whether or not these are called trogs with a T or drogs with a D in the original. There's a D, oh, but it, the pronunciation issue. Yeah, right. And there's we're gonna have a lot of that, by the way. I, how do you say this? La planète sauvage. Is that is that La the planète sauvage? Sauvage. I begin to tell you. <laughs> I'll still go with that. That's okay. What I find interesting is that you know most of the time, um, whether or not you say it in the translation or not, is you know not a big deal. Usually, it translates pretty straightforward. People don't put lots of highly nuanced language in movie titles usually because it's usually very descriptive. But I was looking up the etymology, and it actually you lose something here, don't you? Because sauvage means like wild, untamed, forest, savage, uh, not planet, you know what I mean? So there's a denotation there where if it means savage, suddenly you have maybe a double meaning where it looks ostensibly like the Oms are the savages, but in practice it's their captives who are behaving savagely. And I think you lose that with the translation a little bit. Well, I, I also imagine they wanted to market it differently because I call it a fantastic planet. Yes, and, and, and market it, it, it's a lot uh, more inviting if you think of it as a you know, trippy sci-fi film. Fantastic. Rather... Yeah, fantastic. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, it, you're right. It sounds like a fun sci-fi romp, right? Like it's going to be this cool thing. And instead it's this brutally depressing <laughs> Hieronymus Bosch painting come to life. You know, like it's not, it's not what you expect at all. And I, the title does feel out of place, doesn't it though? But maybe in the future, I kind of got the effect that obviously they said that they um, both needed to learn to work with each other. They both needed to learn to survive, um, coexist on the same level so maybe that's kind of where the future is going it could have even been a cold war allegory in that sense oh well from what i understand and i know i hate looking up at other people's opinions before i form my own but in this case i couldn't help it a little bit apparently that is kind of the close to the consensus is that this is about the cold war um yeah hey so hey good job if you didn't look that if you didn't hear anyone else say that then well, you picked it up was on just it. that they were kind of on a mutual relationship where like if one died the other would die but back to the title i think Someone just mentioned something, and it made me think that um, they have all this technology and they can do all these crazy things, with, like meditate and have sex on marble statues. <laughs> but, um, Which we'd all like to do if we could. Yeah. If only we had the technology, Danny. If only we could waltz. <laughs> yeah, by the way, they say sex, but then they just sort of spin around. I don't know how you guys do it, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to Paris, and so let me tell you. <laughs> that's how they're doing it? You have no idea. <laughs> So, and, um, yeah, they have all this technology and whatnot, but they're still behaving kind of savagely, I think. Yeah, yeah, I feel like th that's definitely the, the main thing we lose from the title translation. That still applies today. Yeah, it does. Hey, what do you know? Humans and are still human, no matter how much fancy crap we got around us. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a running theme through, oh, I don't know, every story ever told, I guess. Um, I will say the parallel with the insects, I, I alluded this, to this earlier, this is a little pet peeve of mine. I know this is an allegory, so I shouldn't be taking it too literally, but it does always bug me when someone says, uh, okay, here's a terrible example. In the first Planet of the Apes remake, the Mark Wahlberg one, right? There's some line where he says something like, you know, she says, well, how do you treat, you know, the apes on your planet? And he goes, well, they're not as smart, you know, they don't talk or something like that. And she goes, oh yeah, did you ever try? Or... Something like that. And I go, yes, yes, we do. We, we try all the time to talk to animals and study them and see what they're able to do. So whenever I see a film that says, like, hey, imagine you were on the other side, you know, I think, well, but God, like, if, if any, if, if we saw, if my cat, okay, so he drags this learning device away, right? If my cat dragged a book away from me and then turned pages for an hour and stared at it intently... That would be incredible. I would never treat him like an animal again, you know? <laughs> like, I, I want that to happen so much. When I was a kid, all I wanted was for a to be able to talk to animals and assume they were intelligent and things like that. So, 
it does feel a little facile sometimes when they, you know, imply that it would be so easy for us to be the animals and and they and they to be the uh, captors. When I think, well, not really, not if we were, not if they were half that smart. But you're, but it is just an allegory, I guess. And the and it wasn't really making a. I don't think it was really making an animal insect point so much as, like you say, a sociopolitical one. Well, that's usually the problem with generalizations. Is I I think in that context they're more talking to just the the general person, you know, who wouldn't have really said what you just said. Now, did anyone else think that their sort of mating ritual looked kind of more like a drug trip? Yeah, I got that. (laughs) And does anyone else think that maybe drug use had something to do with the creation of the film as well? Oh, I think it has to. I mean, are we? I mean, we can't posit that this film was made completely sober, right? <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of another film that kind of reminds me of that sort of thing, but I definitely got that sense of feeling out of it too. I feel like there are stretches of this film that are just surreal, uh, sometimes for its own sake, like the uh, the monster that's kind of living in a cage and grabs animals that fly by it and just slams them onto the ground. It doesn't eat them, doesn't do anything with them, and it just kind of goes. <laughs> Like, it's very satisfied that it's beating these things to death for no reason. Yeah, it makes you wonder where he came up with all these creatures. I mean, there's some interesting ones in there. Right, so there's like, there's this, there's this kind of timeless story underneath about oppression and equality. And then on top, there's just this crazy Dr. Seuss on acid stuff. <laughs> I wonder if it has to do with um, how, how many species there actually are and how we don't really understand them. I like that. That's really interesting, yeah, because we're focused on these two, so maybe there's like a lesson within the lesson. We think the ostensible lesson is, hey, you know, that could be us, you know, think about think about the world around you. Meanwhile, there are these other bizarre species that we haven't even scratched the surface on, and we have no idea what's going on with them. Right. Like, apparently there's a species that reproduces through spite, I guess. <laughs> Which, through spite? Uh, through spite, yeah, the one who slams the bodies on the ground and just doesn't seem oh. to care to eat them or reproduce. I thought you were talking about a real one, like, like a... Praying mantis that eats the head of no, no. Although that's a that's a pretty good example. I guess if I saw a praying mantis in a film without them existing in real life, I'd think that was pretty ridiculous too, wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually a very. Uh, I'm a big G.K. Chesterton fan, and he liked the uh, example he always liked were apples. You know, he says if today if there were an apple tree that produced gold apples, you know, it would be people would come from all over the world to see it, right? But imagine apples just were gold, and then there were an apple tree that produced red apples. That would be the thing that people would come all over the world to see. So just through the fact that we see these things every day, we get used to them, but they're actually pretty fantastic in their own right. Yeah, and I'm going to use a really, really bad example, like the red Gyarados. In the, there's a red Gyarados in Pokemon Silver. <laughs> it serves no purpose whatsoever, but you have to have the red one. I, I, look, I mean, bad bad analogies and bad examples are the only way you're going to be able to relate to a film like this. It just doesn't have enough contemporaries, so sure, why not? I, po- Pokemon uses a vaguely similar animation style. Why not? There's a lot of cutouts there, I think. Maybe this film is where they got some of their character ideas from. Yeah, that's what it is. Pokemon, based on <laughs> the Fantastic Planet. <laughs> it's the spiritual successor, I'm sure. There you go. Um, I get to catch all of us. I was just going to say, they go around trying to round up all the alms, and they're saying, gotta catch them all, gotta catch them all. <laughs> now, I don't know if you noticed this, Danny. You know, when we did this last month, uh, we did, you know, Cries and Whispers, and you pointed out how funny it was that it was actually distributed in the United States by Roger Corman. Oh, yeah. This one was, too. No way. You are, without realizing it, you are two for two on uh, bizarre foreign subtitle films distributed by Roger Corman. 
You want to keep that going? You want to find some more? Because, you know, these days, I was looking up his recent filmography. These days, he's doing movies like Sharktopus and Dino Croc versus Super Gator. In our house, so that you didn't know that going in? This wasn't like you weren't hoping I would notice? That's a total accident. That's amazing. At this point, just based on these two alone, I have to think he was looking for atypical films at the time. Yeah. Yeah, we were both doing 70s movies. Yeah, yeah, they were both 70s movies, probably, you know, probably a period of his, sort of. Um, it actually makes me wonder if maybe he was trying to get away from his reputation. You know, the famous story about, you know, Alfred Nobel, the creator of the Nobel Prize, is also the inventor of dynamite. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he, he specifically establishes the Peace Prize because he doesn't want dynamite to be his legacy. Right. I kind of wonder, that's a little grandiose comparison, I wonder if Corman <laughs> said, you know what, I don't like what people think of me right now, so I'm going to go buy, I'm going to go buy up these just bizarre art house films and and bring them to you know uh, a larger audience i mean you can't go from bucket of blood to that <laughs> and yet and yet he did yeah like, he did. it's the weirdest thing by the way roger corman's still alive i i found out recently. i did not know that yeah so i don't know if he has any more of these in him like i said he's down to dino crocs and super gators now but uh i i find it really fascinating that he tried to reinvent himself, I guess, in the 70s. So maybe we should rethink his legacy a little bit. Make a new essay. Yeah. Art- Roger Corman, art house icon. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, he's one for two with me so far. It's funny that uh, a film with such a relatively happy ending feels so pessimistic anyway. It's only because of the looming danger. Make one wrong move and make piss everyone else. Right, there's like this really fragile equilibrium right. for such a short period of time. Although, uh, one thing we have actually haven't discussed yet, which we should probably touch on, is just the theme of uh, knowledge is power. Uh, knowledge is an equalizer. Because that's really the thing that stops them, right? The, the alms, they don't organize and they don't um, fight back uh, until someone comes along and teaches them. That might be as, as big a point, really, as the oppression thing. Because that's that those two <coughs> correspond, right? Uh, cool. An uneducated society is more easily oppressed. I guess that depends on how you interpret the Genesis story about the tree of knowledge. Yeah, and there was a, a strange uh, religious ceremony, um, obviously, with the Ohms, where they eat the glowing fruit, I guess it was, and then they all go off and have sex. Actually, it was uh, far from being Christian, that was actually pretty pagan. Oh, yeah, and then when they killed the one bat thing that swans avatar, they drank its blood and dance in circles. Yeah, I do like actually that they, you know, okay, so there's like this winking nod thing to, hey, who are the real savages here? And then it's like, well, okay, but the oppressed people are still being pretty savage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they they still have, you know, they're still ignorant. So it might, that that's actually what makes me think that the unifying theme is more knowledge than oppression. It, it's, it's not so much that, you know, they're oppressed until their oppressors develop a conscience, although there are hints of that. It's more like they're oppressed until they learn enough to not be oppressed anymore, until they abandon, you know, their rituals. And my thought was, when he was talking about when they killed the, well, I'll just call it Swan's Avatar. I don't really know. <laughs> when they killed Swan's Avatar. Um, you know, how long was that thing going after them? You know, I mean, did they have to get the knowledge, you know, once terror came over? Is that what kind of set that tone for that sort of thing to happen? That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could extrapolate and say that they've been fighting these things like nonstop. And by the way, fighting the people inside the what was it the hollow bush? Was it the the other alms? The and so bush bandits. The hollow bush bandits, which you know sounds like a like a like a folk group we or something. Give so many of these things nicknames, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need people. Everyone, get more avatars so we can identify. <laughs> so we can identify things that way because they don't have names, which is kind of makes it a little difficult to talk about the film sometimes. You know, you got subtitles and nothing has a name too. Right. 
Um, but no, I, I like that actually. I, I really think that that's kind of what they were going for is that, you know, look, they're, they're fractured. They won't work together. They're ignorant. They're highly superstitious. They have, they have glowing fruit sex orgies and drink blood. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not a very enlightened society, whatever you believe. Um, and so that it's moving past that, that ultimately causes everything to stabilize. By the way, uh, speaking back to, uh, pronunciation and translation, uh, just hearing the word om. When they say it in their uh, accent, it's literally written as the word for man. Yeah, right. Uh, the the French tra- it's the French spelling is like H O M M E S or something. Home, yeah. right, like that. Well, I and also um, I, I this probably is a coincidence, but isn't that literally the sound of the universe in Hinduism? Uh, yeah. I, I'm probably saying that wrong, but you know, or, yeah, it's something like that. Right. I mean, what did you think as far as the um, beginning? Because to me, that was a you know, I think we hit on it earlier here, but to me, I thought that that was just interesting with the hand. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm really glad you asked that because I forgot to mention. Um, well, first of all, it's it's very sad. There are only a handful of films that will make you particularly depressed in the first few minutes. Um, I mean, this is gonna sound silly, but I thought of Up. You know, like yeah. where one of those things where you're ten minutes into a movie and you're kind of sad already, and you're like, usually it takes a little longer for me to become at all invested in what I'm watching, but it's just such a just a raw example of, of brutality and indifference. And what do you what do you think like made them wanna do something like that? I mean, was it just the more of the bigger power sort of thing? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just kids. It, it's a it's a kid playing with an ant. It's a kid with a magnifying glass. It's just let's see what they do. They're not. They don't matter. Um, but again, the music choice. I really got to go back to this and see if I'm crazy here. I thought the music choices were just they were the most dated part of the film. I mean, there's like waka waka. I'm glad you said that. I, I actually enjoyed the music. I thought it was fitting with the film to me anyway so i don't know it was interesting it fit with the time period but it sounded like the shaft theme. i feel like i got the theme still in my head <laughs> well i like the music i just don't it just doesn't feel like geopolitical oppression music to me <laughs> you put it that way i i don't know but that's the thing it felt it felt so at odds with what they were trying to show me that i kind of wonder if i was missing something you're missing a collection of French prog rap from the 70s. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, you don't listen to French prog? Come on. That's the only reason it felt normal to me. Because you listen to that kind of stuff yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I do, but I, I guess I really don't really have anything else to say except that that felt out of place to me. And I kept listening for the Shaft music throughout the movie. And it just, <laughs> it, I just, it was, I cracked a smile every time. It, you know, it was really, it was, it was funky. Funky is the word. You know, there was a lot of a lot of funk in a in in this movie. Yeah, I I really appreciated that there was just a, a clear narrative. I was not expecting that based on the, the what I'd heard about it and the images I'd seen. I thought it was going to be sort of like a oh, what's that Beatles movie that has no point? Yellow submarine. Yeah, that's the one. So I, I guess I appreciated that it was it was kind of straightforward. There was an actual story underneath that was you know made a, a made a clear point. Yeah, it suited that. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, guys, that's it then. Nothing else. Welcome in the end. You got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end, and you've got a hit.